Hello, everyone, and welcome to Going for the Green, the Daily Roto Daily Fantasy Golf Podcast. I am Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. I am joined by Colin Drew. Drew be back for another week of Daily Fantasy Golf Talk. This week we have the Valspar. Uh, I guess I guess it's probably the Valspar Championship. I honestly don't even know. This tournament's had so many different names over the years. But uh, before we get into that, quick. Players Championship recap. Rory, best player in the world. Uh, yeah, I mean, still, still DJ for me, but it's it's pretty damn close. Uh, Rory's playing incredible right now. Still didn't play his A game on Sunday, but uh, shot seventy. It was good enough to hold off Furick of all people, who shot sixty-seven, and then a, a epic group of people kind of collapsing all around him. Definitely was a drama-filled Sunday. Uh, really good for tournament sweats just as a fan watching it and then pretty entertaining for DFS sweats as well just uh, the way that things were shaking out and then the finish with um, Rom and Fleetwood both finding the water that stuff they were pr- pretty much uh, not totally dead but uh, they they felt like they were drawing pretty thin to win the event but for DFS all that stuff mattered a lot and a lot of money was swung towards the end and yeah I don't know it's always fun to see a tournament shake out like that really good drama that shot of Fleetwood on the 16th, uh, I mean, it was probably the best run good you're ever going to see, but it was incredible to watch. Like, that was, like, of all the golf shots that have happened this year on tour, like, that one might be the most memorable to me thus far. Yeah, that was pretty epic. Like, I was sweating it because I had, like, some decent stuff going in weekend golf where I really um, needed Fleetwood, but then I was fading him on FanDuel. I was up pretty high in the 555 over there. And so I was fading him there and like the way it went with like the Eagle and then double was basically the worst thing that could have possibly happened for my sweats. So ended up a down week for me overall, made some money on FanDuel, lost on DK, um, but not as, as good or bad as it could have been, I guess. So GPP life right there. I came pretty close to binking the whole slate uh, round two showdown. I finished like second in a bunch of the single entry stuff because people had Furyk in, in like the guys ahead of me in like the 12 and the 27 that I finished second to, they, they had Furyk on that, on that Friday, which like, you know, I'll take, I'll take my Luke list, Keith Mitchell teams over the Furyk team, like run it back. I would do it again. Yeah. Yeah. There was some chatter about whether or not the course actually ended up playing longer. It's always hard for me to buy into that when you got Furyk, Snedker, Harmon all up there at the top of the leaderboard. Uh, maybe there were some more opportunities, but it certainly didn't play long when you see those guys up there. And Rory deserved it. I mean, he crushed Tita Green, gaining 13-plus strokes on the field, and uh, the majority of the field in general was gaining strokes on approach to separate themselves. Uh, we got to talk about John Rahm as well. I know it's been you know talked about a lot, but the way that he ejected on Sunday in the fairway bunker after his caddy basically told him to lay up He's staring at the water like he's got to hit a 30-yard hook around the water out of the sand, and he, he basically dropped the Davis Maddock not wave gif on his caddy. He really did. It was incredible. And you know, the thing about Rom is that he is not unaware that he has this reputation. I actually heard on the William Hill golf podcast that in the offseason, he met with bomb diffusing experts on like mental tricks to like stay calm under pressure. So, like, he's aware that he has this streak and he still he, – he couldn't contain himself on that shot. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be – it's hard, right, because you know you're one of the best golfers in the world. And so he's thinking, like, I can hook the ball that far out of this bunker. There's not really an issue with it. And, um, 
But is, is caddy, I mean, I don't know if you need to take a firmer stance there. And when you're a caddy or at that point, you've kind of said your piece and the player's going to do his thing. You don't want to get I mean, you're an employee, right? At the end of the day, caddies are employees. Yeah, well, he could have done a better job. I was looking at it uh, and I feel like, you know, he, he made that, um, got the penalty stroke there. And then immediately he just kind of goes mental. And I honestly, between that and then doubling 17, felt like he probably cost himself three to four strokes not with the shot, but just with the decision not to lay up. And looking at the how top-heavy the leaderboard was, it's probably 500K plus just by making the decision not to lay up. He might not have won the event. He might not have even finished in second, but he would have been right there. And so that was a very expensive, um, very expensive lack of judgment on his part, both for him and his caddy who could probably use the 50K. What about uh, what about Rory being smarter than Tiger with the drop on 17? Rory did the same thing Tiger did, where he hit his 17th ball like basically through the green, like hit hit a you know a stinger, hit it through the green, it rolled off the back. Tiger took a shot from the drop zone, but Rory putted from the backside of the green because Tiger either didn't realize I don't know what Tiger was thinking when he did that shot on 17, but Rory knew the conditions and was like, look, I can, I can still make par, even though I roll this off the back. I thought that was super, like, that was a very impressive decision from Rory for me. Yeah. I feel like that's a big caddy mistake there as well for, for Tiger. Obviously you hope the player knows that stuff, but when you're talking about like where to take drops and local rules and things like that, you know, that's where the caddy's supposed to come in and the player is just supposed to be able to, to execute um, some of that stuff. So uh, definitely some, some things that could have went better. I felt like Fleetwood, uh, you know, he rinsed one on 17 as well. But I felt like he needed to play aggressive. Yeah, and he made the right choice. I think it was the right decision. And even if you wanted to look at it from like a expected value, the prizes in PGA tournaments are almost as top heavy as DFS. So once like over the long run, playing aggressive towards the end and trying to get up high on the leaderboard is the way to go, even if he was a, a dog to win, which he definitely was. Um, so I talked about I talked about this on Twitter, and then we can we can move on to the Valspar. But if you played, if just like what I mean, whatever your handicap is, I'm like a 19 or whatever. But I, I actually think that a lot of people think that they could play this course in less strokes than they think because of all the water. I I put it out on Twitter. Could you break 150 playing from the championship tees on this course? And it was about 50 50 the responses. And I, I watched this tournament all four days. And I think an amateur golfer would be so overwhelmed by all of the elements and all of the water that if they followed the rules and carded everything appropriately, that like some of the, like, I think this would be one of the absolute hardest courses on tour for someone who can't like shape their shots and who can't land the ball from with their wedges appropriately, just because there's so much water. Yeah. I, uh, well, the landing the ball with the wedges doesn't really matter for an amateur. They're just trying to get the ball near the green. Um, I, I think 150 seems high, but there are also people who shoot, who quote unquote shoot 99, but they're really shooting like a 115 or 120. Well, yeah, yeah, they're just they're just cheating or taking free yeah. drops. Like, oh, you can't find your ball, drop it in the rough and whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I th- I feel like it's somewhat forgiving off the, I guess not super forgiving off the tee, but it's at, at least not long. So the courses that are long and have hazards, I feel like would be more penal. I'm I'm fairly confident I'd break 150, but it, it's possible it could be like. Uh, up, up close to 110, 120, uh, maybe 120. And yeah, I probably play to like a, a 14 or 15 these days. All right, uh, let's, let's tell the people about the Daily Roto Sweat. Yeah, uh, still running the sweat promotion for a couple more weeks. So if you want to get involved now through the Masters and save 10%, enter the promo sweat at checkout. 
we will be putting our money on the line on behalf of our subscribers and mass entering the millionaire maker taking a shot we'll probably lose money in the process but bringing subs along the ride for the free roll we'll be doing a drawing uh the week before the masters we'll have the results for that on the podcast and you can get involved by entering the promo sweat at checkout or by liking or reviewing the podcast drop your twitter handle or email in the review to get involved in the the campaign it should be a fun one um, and then next week, we got the WGC match play. We will probably have a podcast. DK did run contests last year. They had that interesting format where there was a lot of carnage. Definitely not going to be a typical podcast. Might be a little bit shorter in nature, but we'll try to go through some of the things that we learned at last year's WGC match play if they are running it back again. You also, you also, we, I guess we have to mention, you took, me, you took my money on the Jordan Spieth uh, <laughs> makes an eight bet. Although I was pretty certain after watching him play on Thursday, I was like, oh, I have this locked up. I mean, he just has, he's got no form. And I think that if he would have made it to Sunday, he, one of those holes, he would have been begging to make an eight. Like he would have put it in the water on 16. Yeah, I like Empire Maker was offering 50 to 1 at the Masters to everybody and just booking tons of action. I wonder how much liability he's got on speed to win the Masters right now. I mean, I, I would feel very confident in having anti speed tickets. And like, I've heard this in like golf Twitter or whatever that like, oh, you know, speed, he just knows how to play Augusta. He'll magically and, find it. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's playing, I mean, he's playing like Aaron freaking Baddeley right now. <laughs> it is one of those really interesting things where it's so hard to disconnect the epic run he went on, but this has been a very long like period of time. Um, I can't think of anything like it except when uh, like Duval started to collapse when he was uh, for a while, like Tiger's competitor and he kind of disappeared pretty quickly too. That's the only thing in my kind of golf fandom that I can really think of, of a guy that what, like how steep was the Mike Weir decline after winning the masters? Yeah, that, that was another one too. Um, I felt like he was, I, I don't know what his, odds were when he won i felt like he was a bigger dog but uh certainly hopefully speed doesn't go the way of mike weir but i'd be i'd be happy with him settling into like a 30th in the world so now we are we are moving on to the valspar championship at the innisbrook resort the copperhead course it is a par 71 7340 yards famous for the snake pit holes there are five par threes on this course which is pretty unusual for a pga tour course uh, actually played as the sixth toughest course on the tour last year super narrow fairways and uh, 16th in par adjusted distance uh, in our agenda here we have it noted that strokes gained around the green mattered a ton last year, but generally it seems to be a neutral event for most of the strokes gained categories. Yeah, it seems neutral um, for most years. I, I would say that with how penal and challenging the course is and the fact that it's, yeah, I mean, narrow fairways and fairly long. I mean, you're not going to want guys who are pretty erratic, but there are a lot of decisions that have to be made as far as like how aggressive you want to get off the tee. And then you kind of combine that with this year, the field being extremely weak sandwiched between the, the new players championship and the WGC match play kind of a grueling stretch of the schedule for the, the guys. And so because of that, we have this environment where there aren't that many top names in the field. The ones that are here don't typically play the course a lot. So um, maybe not some course history there. And then uh, basically no 
depth in the field and, and kind of looking at like the 15th golfer in the field to the 60th, like there's not a dramatic amount separating those guys as, as there is most weeks. So should be really interesting for DFS is probably going to be a pretty tilting event as well, just with uh, the penalty strokes and opportunity to find the, the hazards and just tough courses in general with a weaker field. Um, so I, I'm a little bit, I would say like a little bit of a hangover for the players for me, not quite as amped up for this one and uh, probably play a little bit lighter this week. Drive the green is back this week though. There was no oh, yeah. drive the green last week. So we got it back this week. That's huge for me. Yeah. I'll, I'll donate some money on the drive the green. It, it does. I would say it, it, my first reaction was that it sets up better for an MME week than it does for a single entry. There were not a ton of conviction plays for me in the value range and the ones that were, were looking like reasonably popular. Um, so I, I don't know. It seems like a week where MME for me was going to be the the strategy versus trying to hone in on like one perfect lineup and a high dollar buy-in. I will say just looking at it, uh, you know, right now at the top of the data golf projections, it seems very likely for me that I just mash in like 40 DJ teams this week, just like set it, set it to 100 and, uh, and just let it go from there because Dustin Johnson is so clearly the best golfer in this field. And uh, the, I, it, we should note he has not played here, I think probably in like eight or nine years. And he, I think he's playing it basically for the new PGA rule that you have to add uh, event. You have to play. I think it, the rule is either that you have to add one new event every year or that you have to play every event once every four years. It's something like that. Yeah, I get my tongue twisted talk about that rule all the time, but that's definitely the pro- probably the motivation for um, him playing this event. Uh, I guess he also played a little bit less on the Florida swing than some of the other guys. So uh, maybe and maybe that was fed into his decision too, as he knew he was going to be committing to this one. But yeah, hasn't played since 2010, missed the cut that year. And um, I mean, easily the best player in the field. Uh It'll be kind of interesting to see if course history drives any narrative there with DJ. I feel like it probably won't just because it's not like um, you're, you're looking at like Rom hasn't played this event before either. So it's not like the, the guys who are right up there uh, in class have epic course history or anything like that. A lot of course history guys, a little bit more suspect, I would say, um, this week. Yeah, we got Reed, Furyk. Reed and Furyk, you're like, even if you love course history, you're not getting excited about Patrick Reed or, or Jim Furyk. No, people, I've already seen it. I've already seen it in the Daily Roto chat. People are already, they're ready to get in on Reed. Yeah. Um, and then that's just for the guys who are in this field using smart golf bets. If you want to take a look, he kind of has the traditional course history metrics. Uh, I like using the Data Golf Historic Event page, and they've got course history index, and it shows the number of rounds. And they'll also show it for guys who aren't in the field this week. And for me, that gives you a little bit better of a sense of maybe the, the profile of the type of player who might not um, or who might do well here, even if they're not playing. So in addition to some of those names, you have Justin Rose, who's done well the event in the past. Old man, Steve Stricker. So you got the, uh, you know, if you're 50 plus like Furyk or Stricker. No, Furyk's actually younger than I thought he was. That I was pretty surprised when they were showing the graphics. Um, the the stat about Furyk's bogey-free rounds is like, I saw it four days ago and I still don't believe it. He has, he has I think, was 215 or like 211 bogey-free rounds on the PGA Tour and the second place finisher all time is like 140. Yeah. And then you got like Luke Donald and Jason Duffner who are not the players that they once were, but at their best, they were really good long iron players. And 
um, kind of average length, but exceptional accuracy off the tee. So the kind of the Molinari type profile is, I guess, what you're looking for. But there aren't many players of that class in the field. Um, and I guess, yeah, that, that'll be kind of my tiebreaker for, for the course fit stuff is for sure trying to avoid guys who are like the, the bomber type who spray it everywhere, uh, the, the J.B. Holmes type of profile golfer. Probably not ideal this week. I think the big thing that I'm going to be doing when I go through and set my stuff for MME is I'm really going to try and limit my exposure to guys who are going to be chalk just because this tournament is sort of bereft of like really good golfers. Like the idea that a $9,100 Henrik Stenson is going to be really owned. Uh, like I just, I just don't have any interest in even matching the field on that. Yeah, I think I'll probably still the recently the approach I've been using is more about the total ownership of the roster versus individual stands. I'll certainly take some individual stands. So like Ollie would be a clear fade for me. Um, if this guy is a magnet for the water. And like if his ownership holds up, that's like an, an easy fade. Um, someone like Furyk, I'll have a, a good think on and I could see that potentially being an individual stand. But for the most part, I think I'll be still trying to get contrarian. Um, but if I'm pairing up like a DJ with a popular Stenson, I'll make sure that the value guys in that lineup are, you know, the, the two to 5% own type. Um, because like I said, I don't see a lot of conviction amongst some of these value plays. So I'm, I'm happy to, to take like a sprinkle approach in MME. I'm happy to take, um, ownership on a wide bunch of guys and just worry about the total roster construction being unique. So starting at the top, the five most expensive golfers, Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Jason Day, Webb Simpson, and Sergio Garcia. I, I really think that this is just a week that makes sense to just press the lock button on DJ and let other people make Rahm, Day, Webb, Garcia. Like, I just, I cannot imagine rostering Webb this week. I really just don't want to. Yeah, I mean, the... I don't mind Webb. I agree that DJ is by far a superior play. Um, I, I mean, I think in this week it's possible that you could get like a DJ plus a 10 K guy into a build if you're willing to yeah. go with the value place. And so that's, I think that I agree. I don't want to anchor any teams with web. Definitely not. But, um, those guys will still be in my submission just because if I can get like a, a star heavy build, um, it is going to play tough. And when it plays tough, finish points matter a lot more. So if these guys go one, two or something like that, you're going to need them in tournaments. Um, DJ, the lock button is in play. I I think my first run was like 55, 60% DJ and hoping that'll get me well above the field. But I do think the lock button's in play. I do think um, his top 20 probability is kind of his, his floor is certainly much higher than ROM and you're not getting a big enough price discount to to really intrigue me there. So um, I, I could certainly see the case for a DJ lock button. I think there's maybe like a little, like a small chance that some of this like Rom talk, like some of just the overall like hatred on Rom, like everyone's just talking about how much Rom messed up those last couple holes. Like I think there's a small chance that that kind of drags the ownership down a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty early in the week. I, I don't really know where things will go. I, I'm assuming they'll go to DJ, but the 11.5 guys rarely end up like massively popular. Um, yeah. Usually you see like maybe in the chalkiest week, maybe 30% would be the highest that you kind of see a guy get there. I do agree with you though. A lot of, there is a lot of talk about Rom this week and there's a lot of fan share tags about Rom, but 
lot of those are just people talking about what happened last week versus recommending him as a play. And I, I think that there is going to be some some leverage to be had there. And I think that's the thing that kind of holds me back from hitting the lock button on DJ. I definitely want to get overweight field. I definitely want to have exposure in tons of lineups. But um, you'll probably get some leverage off these other guys. If if DJ ends up 30% owned and um, you know only 90% of the field spends above 10K for a golfer, then you're kind of looking at like 15% ownership on average across those other four players. And one of these guys is going to come in at single digits. Um, Sergio is, you know, I like Sergio better than Webb as well. I like the price discount on Sergio. I think Sergio comes in uh, in good form, especially with his approach game being uh, so consistent in the area that he's kind of always gaining strokes. And it's just like he fits the, the mold of the guy that hopefully can avoid those big mistakes. Yeah, I uh, I agree with all of that. We again have Gary du- Gary Woodlands Gary W just as a as a super value on uh, on data golf. Yeah, I th- I th- it's interesting because I feel like the perception is that he didn't do well last week, finished thirtieth, but like he outscored his projection on DraftKings. Um, he put up fantasy points, like. The, yeah, he was good in most of the showdown rounds. Yeah, like it, it wasn't um, in a large field tournament. It, it wasn't necessarily enough to get there. But yeah, like my FanDuel lineup with with Rory on it was a six of six with uh, Woodland and, and Finau, and it was pretty close to to the top. So I felt like Gary did did enough there. He's definitely done enough to bring me back to the well again. I think his ownership will be reasonably popular as well. He ended up like twenty percent last week, right? Maybe maybe a tiny bit lower. He was definitely I think lower. He was definitely lower than was projected project. by us. Yeah. Uh, um, Paul Casey guarantee guarantee this V one ownership projection on him is wrong. I would take I would take the under by a good bit. Be, because of the miscut. Yeah, people had him last week, and uh, you know, just I mean, this is just something that happens. People just do this. They can't help themselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I could see, I guess I could see him being low owned, but from a class perspective. So I, I think that, um, Woodland will be as owned or more owned than Casey, especially with last week into consideration, obviously Casey with the, the good finish here last year, but I, I don't see like people going to Keegan over Casey it's going to be hard to see people banking on Reed like so much more heavily than Casey. And even someone like Jim Furyk for $500 is there's just like a big class difference where people are used to playing Casey over a long period of time. And I do still think that he'll get some ownership. Um, I mean, he, he drove the ball really well last week. He cost himself a bunch of strokes on approach. And then he was, he was Paul Casey with the putter. So it was pretty egregious there. Uh, I don't, I don't have any like firm conviction. If I, if it's a heavy DJ week, it's hard to, end up too heavy on Casey, but I think he's a guy I'll, I'll still be close to the market on and putting together DJ Casey builds is, is not something that is unreasonable from a macro perspective. Yeah. Nine K guys that I am interested in playing, uh, Keegan and Furyk. I will, I will be nuking Louie. I won't, I won't have any of the pyramid scheme this week. So thank you. <laughs> the, the, the Louie pyramid scheme is that's uh, one of the better golf takes you brought to the, the community this year. Um, maybe all the money, all the money flows upwards and out of my pockets when it comes to Louie, <laughs> but it's got to flow somewhere. So maybe it's a week that it flows, um, into someone else's pockets from, I mean, you could, you could tell me that Louie 
just shoots a, you know, a bunch of 68s this week and finishes T8, and I really wouldn't be surprised, but I also wouldn't be surprised if you tell me he hits it directly into the mouth of an alligator and, like, grabs his back and walks off the course. Like, I just, watching him play has been so infuriating for me. Yeah, I mean, if he shoots a bunch of 68s, he's winning the event. <laughs> let's, uh, let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, I so. guess I guess I, I guess this is going to be, like, a minus 5 can win this. Yeah, like maybe like minus 10, but like one or two under par, definitely going to be a really, really strong score, uh, especially with the field that we have. Um, I would prefer Casey. I would for sure prefer Woodland. I would say that who stays in in Keegan right now have pretty low ownership projections. And I think in contrarian balance builds or as like second pieces with DJ lineups where you're playing more popular guys down below, I think those are the types of lineups that I'd be more interested in. Um, It's going to be, fairly hard for me to to back Jim Furyk at all this week. I know he's definitely been in good form this year, um, but it, it just seems so unlikely that. I mean, he, I will take, I will take Furyk over Stenson or Glover. If you want to offer those. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take Stenson over Furyk. Okay. I mean, isn't, isn't it all putting for Stenson right now? Isn't he just gaining a bunch of strokes on the green? Uh, no, he. I mean, the at the API and the players um, in those two events, he averaged like 1.2 and 1.6 strokes gained on approach per round. So, picking up four to six on approach. Uh, so, and then he was kind of break even off of the tee. Uh, obviously, small sample. He came in in like awful form from Europe. I don't think it's a. Um, I mean, Fierke's been more consistent for sure and has been better with the putter. You probably have like a maybe a bit of a higher floor on Furyk. Uh, I feel like the the ceiling on Stenson might be higher, but it definitely hasn't been so far. And honestly, I mean, I I think it's uh, not an egregious bet. I feel like it's 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 fair. Wow! So this is the first time I've ever been close to actually like a like a decent EV. This isn't like offering uh, Tom Hoagie bets. Yeah, I did feel I felt bad. Kind of talked to you out of. I, not only did I get the the spief, um, but I got like an extra good line out of you. Kind of felt guilty about that. I know. So brutal. I like like at one point Nelson was telling me in in chat that there through two days there had been one eight on the whole course. <laughs> so definitely, definitely not. Uh, definitely not a good number for me. Uh, moving down into the eight thousands, I actually do kind of like Bubba this week, and and generally he's not a guy that I play. Yeah. What is it about Bubba this week specifically? Just that uh, 7,300 yards is not particularly long for him. And that if you're like, if you want to take into account blow up potential, like whatever, sure. He could, he could just totally like suck and, and not care. But I think he's like a higher pedigree golfer than Ryan Moore, Jason Kokrak, Kevin Kisner. Like, I just think he is like, when his game is going well, he's like a standard deviation better of golfer than all the guys he's priced around. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit interested for ownership. I can't figure out if it's like, uh, I mean, Bubba is just maddening. I feel like, I mean, he's super maddening, but like, if you look at his results this year, he's been quite good. Yeah. I mean, he, he hasn't played, he's played this event once since 2012, missed the cut in 2017, had a couple okay finishes beyond that. Just can't tell if it's uh, if it's a bubble course or you know it's it's um, not it's definitely but, like this is a course that could put him on full tilt pretty easily yeah and but the the ownership is always kind of what brings me there is like the leverage is you you got to find some ways to differentiate and uh, I would for sure not touch Bubba in a three max like 
no, 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 MME life only. Yeah. yeah. MME life probably will end up with a little bit of exposure. Um, my first run, let's see. Like, there's just no way that I will ever, like, I'm just never playing Ryan Moore. I'm never playing Kevin Kisner. Maybe a little bit of Snedeker. Definitely no Hadwin. Definitely no Charles. Definitely no Brennan Grace. So, like, if we're looking at the 8K range, like, my, my, like, range here is pretty low. Yeah, I, that's one of the things that's the most compelling about this event generally is um, if we take someone, so I, I agree like Bubba RCB, I like a little bit more than some of the other guys. I like Kokrak a little bit too. But yeah, Kokrak is good. Take like Ryan Moore, Data Golf has him with 24% odds to T20. I think when he's playing well, I think it's a reasonable fit for him. So maybe you could say you want to boost him a little bit, but if you take their odds at face values, 24% to T20, cost $8,700 and you can go all the way down to the 6k range and you can find guys who are like 18% to T20. And so you can save a ton of money without sacrificing that much probability as far as the top 20 odds and you can get lower ownership and, and you can fit DJ into the, the lineups more reasonably. So uh, I do agree that this range ends up being one that um, you, I, I feel like naturally if I'm building with DJ, I might end up with a little bit less exposure to two just because the guys are all slightly overpriced and um, interesting week. Yeah. Interesting week. And I just don't, you know, I just don't like to play like, even if it is a, a bunters course or a course management course, I'm not going to let that make me play guys that I just don't like to play, you know, like, yeah, like, and there's just not for me, like a good reason to be like over invested in Kevin Kisner or Ryan Moore guys who most of the time I feel quite comfortable fading when like guys who I actually do like at the course for MME purposes, like Bubba, like RCB, um, or even like, even like Hatton at 7,900. Like I just like all of those guys way better. Yeah. And I, I usually don't listen to other industry podcasts until after this one, just cause I don't want it to like warp my opinions. I'm curious if a lot of people are piling on like in, in trying to play similar course fit to the players and, to me, it feels like it's different. It's a much longer course. The fairways are pretty narrow. Yes, there's a lot of trouble, yet it's going to play a lot harder. But um, I don't think it's a course that distinctly screams like play a guy who's really short and accurate necessarily um, because we have seen a lot of long ball strikers that had the good course history. So if people are going to pile on Kisner and Sneds um, because they did well at the players and because they were in contention for a period of time, then that is definitely another reason that I can people kind of I, I can guarantee you that people will have sneds people wait for that guy to flash a little bit of form and then they get the chips in the middle of the table he's just like one of those guys people like to play yeah and i'd, I'd rather like um get down to hadwin <clears throat> get a little lower ownership there get down to to knox um and then yeah like terrell Haddon, I, I think sets up as a nice leverage play at the top end of the seven thousand dollar range yeah, Knox, uh, Knox and uh, Hatton are two of the guys that I really like from this range. Um, Ollie coming in at uh, one of the worst combinations of ownership, projection, and uh, expected data golf value since Michael Thompson, that one week where Michael Thompson was chalk. No, <laughs> no, since Hudson Swafford was chalk that one week. That's the only time I've seen a combination of like 15% ownership and like super negative data golf projection. It it'll be um it'll be interesting. The 
I, I don't like this is one of the areas where the V1 projections. I just don't believe that Ollie will will be popular. I, no, I, mean, I, I can I will absolutely utterly guarantee you he will be popular. I mean, it would be pretty egregious to play Ollie over any of Sung J M, Michael Thompson, Zach Johnson. We're right there at the same price. It would be very egregious to play Ollie over those guys, in my opinion. And I will have no exposure to Ollie. And I, I strong preference for Sung J M, Michael Thompson, Zach Johnson. Yeah, uh, looking like it's going to be probably a Zach Johnson chalk week at 7,600. People people like to play that guy. He's just another one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, it's, I mean, it's, it's like the guy that, <laughs> yeah, sleeping with your favorite blanket from when you were a kid. Um, Zach Johnson's just there. He's comfortable. You feel good about getting a make cut. You feel like there's some upside there if he plays well. I agree the ownership will, will probably be modest. I don't think it's going to get um, out of control just because it hasn't done enough to, to make it out of control. But uh, I think it's a range where I'll be playing some of those guys. I'll be looking to get contrarian with some others. Um, how about that Kevin Na and Tiger exchange last week? Did you see that on the 17th hole? I only ever watched, like I only ever saw it like on my Twitter feed with the sound off. Oh man, it was, pre- it was pretty funny. Na like was, he almost basically, he's making this short putt and he almost picked it up out of the hole like before it hit the bottom. Before of the it cup. dropped. Yeah, yeah, it was hilarious. And then uh, Tiger like did the same thing and he had a huge smile on his face. That was pretty awesome to see. You could just tell that like, it was something that naturally happened organic in the middle of the golf tournament, and they were just having a great time with it. Um, the the better one was Tiger walking by the guy on the way to the 17th green who had Tiger's mugshot on his T-shirt, <laughs> and Tiger saw it and started laughing. That was that was the Tiger moment of the weekend for me. Yeah, Tiger, he's not, not the killer he used to be, but he's loving life these days. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, who can who can uh, who can hate on that? I definitely, if Tiger was playing this week, it would definitely be. I still, we are we are uh, three months into the 2019 PGA season. I I still have yet to play Tiger Woods. Just saving him for Augusta, just to shut. I don't know. Him. It just I just always feel like he's overpriced, and yeah. maybe I just don't. I ne- maybe I just don't have a good handle on what his game is, but it just uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me going further into the 7k range this has got to be the most expensive that joel damon has been this season 7400 it's got to be close yeah since the relaunch it's got to be pretty close um but at the same time i feel like i feel like he's a good value there's this range uh, like him sam sam rider uh Jez Revy, I'll be interested to see where ownership shakes out. Have them all rated like coin flips, basically. And I mean, yeah. you can throw Stricker into that mix if you want to. I like Stricker a little bit less than our projections, but if you throw them all in there, it's basically like coin flips. And um, that's an area where I'll either spread my ownership out um, because I don't have a clear consensus or yeah, try to try to build like if, the, if one of them ends up popular and I still want to have exposure to that guy, I'll try to include him in contrarian builds by controlling the, the total ownership of my roster in general, I think that's another reason that it sets up as MME week. Um, I don't know. Yeah, because how are you really trying to make a decision between Steve Stricker, Joel Damon, Sam Ryder, Nick Taylor? Like, I, you know, they're all, they are all have decent odds to make the cut. They all have kind of decent odds. Top 20, I don't feel confident saying one is definitely better than the other. Yeah, and I think that's also where you can kind of get in. You can get in trouble, too, just trying to – you're starting to – grasp on like one data element to break the tie if i had to break the tie in um tournaments then ownership's the the easiest way to do that and that would be a a pretty easy way to 
break the tie there. Um, I mean, like Ches Revy jumped out as the most comfortable name, but he's been progressing in the wrong direction uh, over the past few events. So it, it's one of those things where I think data golf's approach of Brent blending kind of the long-term form and being able to adjust for the field strength definitely makes sense here, but you end up um, without like a clear conviction play. All that seems reasonable. We have our hero. We have the boy, Denny McCarthy, 7,100. I feel pretty confident uh, getting some of him this week, right? And very oddly, Roger Sloan is like 90 to 1 to win this golf tournament for whatever reason. I, I was like shocked when I saw that. Right. That's, that's interesting. Is he, it's has just he looked a at like number. head to head markets yet? No, I don't even do. Does Roger Sloan even get head to head markets? I assume he's probably in some of the three balls. I mean, everyone gets like a head to head depends on how the tee time shake out. But um, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things where if like Ben Coley or someone tipped him, then sometimes like an outright, it's like people just bet him and sometimes they'll just move the lines on a little bit of action. I feel like that can especially happen in some of these kind of random, uh, random fields, random events. Um, I, the low 7k range it's tough I, like bug collie and dylan fratelli were two yeah, of the guys swag, swag collie for me yeah like I, I like them too um but i can't say that i have like a, a clear you know preference for them over some of the other guys and uh ct pan you know i think he's a good value too but again just another reason that i really think it it sets up well for an mme event um i think brian Harmon would probably be the fade of the range for me just balancing yeah, like his finish last week with his ownership projection. If I end up with with a kind of fade stance on anyone, it's most likely to to be him. We got uh, we got seven K Stewart Sink cut maker uh, professional. Yeah, we got a lower projection on him than I would have expected. Than, well, than normal. Yeah, normally he's like a, a pretty positive value down here. Also, data golf favorite Adam Shank. 6900 very nice price on Adam Shank this week. He will definitely be in my MME mix. Are, are, you, betting, are you betting him outright and touting him? Yeah. A FanDuel hurry up. Uh, Adam Shank is now, he's like, uh, the outright market, by the way, this week is horrible. There's like there's like 10 guys who rate out as plus EV at all on Datagolf. It's, it's really brutal. But uh, I'm actually not on the FanDuel hurry up this week because they're only doing March Madness. So that's, that's saving me from having to tout Adam Shank. Yeah. Yeah. Gary Woodland, I think was the, the best value, right? He, for every, outright bets. every week, every week he, cause he's 50 to one and, and he just, he should, data golf has him as like a 30 to one guy in those fields. Yeah. Yeah. I think Shank will be in the MME mix for me. I'm expecting a very low ownership projection on him kind of neutral off the tee consistently gaining strokes on approach. Most of the events, um, it, it's, yeah, it's tough. Uh, one of the guys I'm, I'm a little biased towards is Jason Duffner, and I may put him back in the oh, mix a little bit this buddy. week. And pretty egregious over the past <laughs> year. That would be like me coming on and touting Streb because I interviewed him once. <laughs> yeah, it's tough when you when you know what they're working on. But um, he did gain strokes on approach last week. Gain strokes off the tee last week putted really poorly but has a great track record here might have to just give a little bit of a personal bias boost into my player pool uh harold varner receiving a pretty decent projection but i don't really have much interest playing him here um i i mean i have as much or more interest in playing him than any of these guys like so i'll probably have some exposure in tournaments i don't see a reason to, to exclude him from the the player pool 
you gonna have any will it 6700 hmm, doubtful i haven't dug deep enough um i would say that for the most part i'm ignoring course fit i am gonna say that the seven sub seven thousand dollar range is one where i might be more inclined to cling on some of the narrative things whether it's course fit or guys who have shown recent form in like a small three to four event sample um just because if i do end up going very heavy on dj i want to get um smooth out that variance with the value guys and that way it's not just loading up the same value guys with dj and so uh, i think that the, the guys down here kind of like 14 to 15% odds T20 trying to use um, some of that stuff to, to manufacture the player pool and control ownership is probably the approach I'll take. I'm going to, I'm just going to cap a lot of these like sub 7,000. I think I'm just going to cap these guys at like 15% and just like hit real, like move the shuffle up to like 75, <laughs> 70, 75. I should try to run it with 75 shuffle. See what you get. Um, I, mean, I agree. I, with I, did, I did it. I did it last week and yeah. things I last week. I like, I mean, I broke even, which is better than the last couple of weeks that Justin Rose and Bryson DeChambeau treated me. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're hitting the lock button, it's not going to work out most weeks, but the week it does, hopefully you have the appropriate. It's going to work this week. Uh, DJ, DJ, 100% shuffle 75 max 15% ownership on someone else. I'm guaranteed to hit the nuts. That's a, that is like, that is like investing in gold. You can't lose. DJ lock button was, was a good move for me last year. So I'm, I'm a fan. There we go. Um, I don't have any interest in talking about, uh, Alex Cheka at 6,000. So yeah. let's, uh, let's move on to outright bets. This is, this is a bad week. This is, I, 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 I might place like one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough cause of DJ and then I, I mean, I think Woodland yeah, when DJ sucks up 15% of the win equity and is priced at five to one, like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like I think Woodland rates is a pretty good bet. If you like betting out rights in the data golf model, I think um, they've got him. I think he should be around 20 to one and you're getting anywhere from 22 to actually plus plus 2,900. The FanDuel has a very nice, if you have, if you live in the state of New Jersey, that would be uh that would be uh, an investment to make, I think. Yeah, it's just a short drive to the West Virginia border, I think, for me to try to get some action from the, the U.S. sportsbooks. And they've got a really nice price on HV3, too, 240 to 1. Um, he's 175 to 1 on my bookie, for example, and Data Golf makes him like 165 to 1. So uh, some decent, decent outright prices, at least, on FanDuel, which is uh, nice to see as the sports betting slowly becomes more legal. Um, probably going to fire Woodland myself, um, probably steer mostly clear of the outrights otherwise on my bookie which is where i have an account and then uh one and done davis i I hit a winner last week oh man i'm i'm not doing well the not starting the second segment off hot i had sergio last week i mean he was like fine but he probably made like seventy five thousand dollars, like nothing that matters at all yeah i we we had on one of our entries we had fleetwood the first week of the second segment and then rory last week so that one is tied for second it's kind of behind a train of of molinari rory combos but i feel like it's in a pretty good spot this week where um i i honestly think paying up for dj with that lineup might be the way to go because he is such a dominant favorite in this field i know the purse isn't there but i think when you compare like his his win odds to the purse that he he won't be he won't be 15 percent to win a tournament for the rest of the year 
yeah, I don't know. Unless like maybe RBC Canadian or something if it's a weak field again. But, I but think it's not cheat. it's not at Glen Abbey though. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think he'll get the win equity. And I think in the segment specifically, it might make sense for us yeah, to Yeah, you should be you should be using uh DJ Bryson Rom like you this should be this like that you should be chasing this heavy. Yeah. Plus, yeah. And that would still leave a pretty good, I mean, a lot of good golfers, but plenty of options for the masters to, to choose from as well, where obviously you'll want to take home that big prize, but that would still put us in a position where, um, I mean, like DJ, I assume Rory's, the, I haven't looked at the masters eyes. I assume Rory Rory's, is like a co-favorite. He's, he's the favorite. He like at most of the markets, he's the, he's yeah. at like seven and a half to one now. Yeah. And DJ's probably second still despite yeah. not having great course history there. Jordan, Jordan's still 20 to one in case oh, anyone okay. wondered. Yeah. Um, so DJ for me uh, is the one and done pick for teams that are live in the segment for teams that are trailing or you're just trying to play optimal. Uh, Gary Woodland, I think seems like an, another good pick. I think you're not going to get too much of a better price on him either. I would, I would argue. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Paul Casey. Pretty sure. Yeah. And I like, the angle with Casey or Sergio as well. Um, again, I think they're reasonably big favorites compared to where they'll be otherwise. And uh, they're guys that don't play as many events on tour in the U S cause they mix in the European schedule as well. So I feel like Woodland legitimately plays every PGA event. Like I feel like he never takes, I swear he's been in, like we've talked about him on every show. Yeah. I, I feel like I play him every week. <laughs> yeah. He's such, like, he, I mean, Guy, guy, just just a grinder, I guess. It's a man, man after my heart. No yeah. weeks off, Davis. Yeah, I, I have not taken a DFS slate off in like I've not taken a day off from playing DFS since I started a daily roto. I don't think I've been <laughs> grinding. There was like the I actually just checked my roto tracker this morning. Things have been good. Things have been good since I joined the uh, the daily roto family in everything except for PGA. Well, we we still got the drive the green that you're going to win coming up. So yeah, so I'm I, so if you count if you count the hundred thousand dollars that I'm going to win uh, from winning drive the green at some point this season, things are like even better. Yeah. So I don't know. It should it should be an interesting week this week. Uh, I'm probably going to try not to overthink it. I'm probably just going to jam a lot of DJ, diversify elsewhere. Probably stick to the MME streets this week. Um, I'm hoping they come out with like a secondary drive the green. I just don't like playing tournaments against that many people it's i mean it, it's a skill-based lottery more or less uh and then i'll a definitely skill based be, lottery that i'm gonna win yeah and you're gonna win it so but i'll definitely be going out like the FanDuel one 20k to first 15k people in the field eight dollar entry fee so i'll for sure be in that and then i'll be mmeing either the drive the green or the secondary drive the green if they're out there do you mme the um the eight dollar showdown one with max 150 entries uh, sometimes I've been, uh, I've been like inconsistent with that. So I, I, most weeks I'm always playing weekend golf. Um, and then I usually play round four. I usually just bleed money at round four every week. And then sometimes I'll play the round two and round three stuff kind of depends on like the, the prize pools and what I have going on that weekend. Just cause now that it's back on the East coast, you can't like wake up and do it early. You kind of got yeah, to do it the night before. Yeah. So it just depends on what's going on with life. I normally just lock Luke list and then just play the top optimal with, with list locked in every round. 
That's like generally, that's generally been my strategy. Plus, plus EV in showdown golf in 2019 using that strategy. I'm like, I'm like 11% uh, up. You just, you doing that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. MME week for me, I guess I gotta, gotta keep MMEing, gotta keep the, uh, the routine and the process building because we do have that sweat promotion for the masters coming up. If you do want to join our fantasy golf product this year, you can enter the promo sweat to save 10%. We're also really excited about the fantasy baseball season. So I know that's where Drew, Mike, Ricky, Pacheco are all hard at work grinding. We've got the new optimizer there. You can be able to integrate floor and ceiling projections to create your optimal MLB DFS lineups. And I uh, got the, the showdown slate opening it up tomorrow, but then the big opening day next week. So if you are into daily fantasy baseball, definitely check out our product as well. All right, there we go. That'll do it for us here at the Daily Roto Going for the Green Daily Fantasy Golf Podcast.